Justice with Arthur Schwartz, heard Mondays at 5 p.m. Yes, we are in our second week of our spring membership drive, raising funds to make sure that this institution continues to provide continues to provide you that unique perspective of the world that you expect from us here on a daily basis. The number to call to show your support financially is 516-620-3602. That number again is 516-620-3602 or go to give to wbai.org online. Give to that's number two, give to WBAI.org online. And we thank you for, and tell a friend or two about this radio station. And we thank you in advance on what you will do. All right, it is 6 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent coming up. Good evening. In the news tonight, U.S. forces in the Middle East are preparing for an alleged attack from Iran. Michael Cohen goes to jail. We take a look at Sunnyside Yards, NYC's next mega development, plus highlights from this year's Tribeca Film Fest. You are listening to the Evening News on WBAI 99.5, hosted by The Independent, New York's free, reader-supported progressive newspaper. I'm the Indies associate editor, Peter Rue. The United States is dispatching an aircraft carrier and other military resources to the Middle East, warning that Iran and its allies are preparing to possibly attack U.S. forces in the region. White House National Security Advisor John Bolton said Sunday the Pentagon has received a number of troubling indications and warnings of an impending attack, but did not provide further details. In Gaza, governing Hamas militants announced a ceasefire deal with Israel on Monday, ending the deadliest fighting between the two sides since 2014. The escalation in hostilities killed 25 on the Gaza side over the weekend. Three women, two of them pregnant, and two babies were among the dead, according to Palestinian medical officials. Four Israeli civilians were killed as well. North Korea appears to have tested a new short-range missile on Saturday. The sudden activity on the North's east coast alarmed Washington's regional allies and suggests that North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, is improving his weaponry, even as President Trump wrestles with how to get him back to the negotiating table. A report from scientists with the United Nations warned on Monday that extinction looms over one million species of plants and animals. Species loss is accelerating to a rate tens or hundreds of times faster than in the past. Deforestation, overfishing, climate change, pollution, and the introduction of invasive species are to blame, according to the report. The report does not set a time frame for the extinctions, since many variables are at play, including whether humans take the problem seriously. The House Judiciary Committee plans to vote Wednesday to hold the Attorney General of the United States in contempt. William Barr has refused to testify before the committee, and his Justice Department has failed to turn over the full special counsel report into Russian election meddling and related evidence. The vote by the Democrat-controlled committee could intensify a constitutional showdown between Congress and the executive branch. Michael Cohen, the former lawyer, media attack dog, and fixer for President Donald Trump, 
headed to prison Monday to begin a three-year sentence. Cohen was convicted of campaign finance violations related to hush money payments made on Trump's behalf to a pornographic actress. He'll be serving time at a federal facility in Otisville, 70 miles northwest of New York City, a minimum security prison camp that has become a haven for white-collar criminals. In a cryptic statement read to reporters this morning, Cohen said that there still remains much to be told, and I look forward to the day when I can share the truth. He added that he hopes the country will be a place without xenophobia, injustice, and lies at the helm when he is released. Airplane manufacturer Boeing said Sunday that it discovered a safety alert in the cockpit of its troubled 737 MAX planes was not working as intended. Yet it did not disclose that fact to airlines or federal regulators until after one of the planes crashed. The feature was designed to warn pilots when a key sensor might be providing incorrect information about the pitch of the plane's nose. But within months of the plane's debut in 2017, Boeing said its engineers realized that the sensor warning light only worked when airlines also bought a separate optional feature. The sensors malfunctioned during an October flight in Indonesia and another in March in Ethiopia. Pilots were unable to regain control of either plane and both crashed, killing 346 people. In local news, the troubled New York City Housing Authority is considering taking another step toward privatization. With the city struggling to make the billions in repairs needed to maintain its dilapidated public housing stock, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced plans last year to turn more than 60,000 apartments over to a private management company. Now the agency is weighing whether to tear down two buildings at the Fulton Houses in Chelsea and replace them with larger luxury towers built by private developers. 70% of the new units would be market rate, and the remaining 30% would be, in the words of a de Blasio spokesperson, affordable enough for NYCHA residents to make rent. The sell-off would earn NYCHA approximately $170 million within five years. Meanwhile, de Blasio is close to announcing a presidential run, according to multiple sources cited by the Daily News on Friday. Nearly 70% of New Yorkers oppose a de Blasio bid for president, according to a recent Quinnipiac poll. Should the mayor throw his hat in the ring, it would make him the 22nd Democrat in the race. De Blasio is expected to make his decision as early as Wednesday. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will be up against a sea of dark money when she seeks re-election in her Bronx-Queens congressional district next year. Bronx Republican Chairman Mike Rendino told the New York Post in April that he is in touch with a donor worth over $200 million who has connections to raise money in Manhattan. This individual is eager to unseat AOC. The Stop AOC PAC, founded in March by Virginia lawyer Dan Backer, has so far raised $32,000, according to its latest financial expenditure report. It's been more than six years since Superstorm Sandy, and the New York City Office of Emergency Management has finally announced plans to protect Lower Manhattan from the next big storm. Their solution? Sandbags. Really big sandbags. The OEM says the four-foot-tall bags of soil it is installing along the East River Promenade are a temporary solution. Queens District Attorney Richard Brown, who held on to the post for nearly 30 years, passed away on Saturday due to complications with Parkinson's disease. Brown was widely known as a tough-on-crime prosecutor who zealously sought convictions and maximum jail sentences at all costs. Earlier this year, Brown announced he would not be seeking re-election. 
A crop of new candidates, including socialist-backed public defender Tiffany Caban, will be on the ballot in the Democratic primary on June 25. And lastly, a New Jersey judge dismissed an injunction Friday sought by the Ramapo Hunt and Polo Club Association to bar members of the actual Ramapo tribe from performing ceremonies near its golf course. Native Americans have been active on the land for at least 10,000 years, and it is home to a sacred burial ground. More news after this break. I see a million walk the city mile The ticker tape kings and the juvenile Will anybody tell me Hello and welcome back to the evening news here on WBAI, hosted by The Independent. We turn now uh, to Queens where if the NYC Economic Development Corporation has its way, the borough could soon host a new neighborhood. Not many are aware of it, but plans are already underway to turn an active rail yard in Sunnyside, Queens, into the site of a hulking, lux- of hulking luxury skyscrapers. According to a 2017 feasibility study conducted by the EDC, Sunnyside Yards in western Queens will grow in the coming decades to be seven times larger than Hudson Yards, the city's most recent mega development. To talk more about Sunnyside Yards, what it means for the city and for your taxpayer dollars, we're joined by Emily Sharp. She lives in Sunnyside and is the founder of Stop Sunnyside Yards, and she says, This project has a dark side. Emily, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Um, So tell us a little bit about the genesis of this development. Um, Whose idea was it to build another haven for the rich in this city? Well, um, it started with Amtrak wanting to raise some money. Um, They have a lot of projects going on. So they approached the city and, you know, wanted to do it. But, of course, Bill de Blasio back in 2014 had also, I guess they came, came to him first and floated the idea this idea about building something on the yards has been around for about 100 years or so in one form or the other. So, mm, And this is New York, and every little inch of our city is valuable to real estate exactly. money. Yes. So uh, you got these rail yards take up a lot of space. Uh, we got to figure out a way to get some luxury high-rises yes, on yes, there, right? Yes, um, So there are concerns. Let me see here. This is cur- currently an active train yard. And it's going to be active during the development. So uh, how are they going to put these skyscrapers up? Well, very carefully. Um, It's going to require lots of work, lots of coordination. Um, The feasibility study really lays out how much coordination is going to be involved. Mm. Um, The the, uh, Long Island Railroad goes through there, uses the train yards. Amtrak, New Jersey Transit um, uses it. Um, They basically, between morning and evening rush, they sit there and you know there's a holding pattern right mm. there um but yeah so it's a lot of coordination um lots of um i want to say if you've heard of rube goldberg uh like in, inventions like everything has to perfectly fit together mm. in the little ball like mousetrap kind of <laughs> everything oh, has yeah. to perfectly fit together in order for this to work so yes and um be very expensive um yeah and they're going to build a platform over the rail yard, I understand it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, like a platform or a deck, people like to say. Um, if you look at the rail yards from the street, you know, you see the trains going by basically at street level. So they have to go over them 
Um, there's a lot of um, electric equipment that's going to have to come down and be like hanging from the deck or inside of like um, uh, cement, you know, like in a deck, like a couple of mm. feet. And it's going to be pretty hot, so they're going to probably have to have lots of fans Definitely, going all yes, the time. Yes, yes. Um, all the train <laughs> yards are going to be active. Like you said, the most active rail yard in the United States. So, and the trains are not going to be going anywhere. It's they're actually expanding. Amtrak is adding more tracks, so it's going to be even busier. Um, yes, and they're going to have to use fans to get the heat, uh, kick some of that heat out, um, heating up the environment for all of us outside, <laughs> <laughs> and then more air conditioning that we're going to have to use. And there are concerns that these high-rises that they plan to build are literally going to cast a shadow over the rest of Sun Sunnyside. Yes, um, I do believe that would be true. Um, Sunnyside is mostly, well, there's Sunnyside Gardens and they're low, you know, two-story houses. Mm. Um, really the tallest thing you have around there, six-story um, buildings, mostly rent-stabilized, a lot of them. But yeah, definitely it's going to be, because the deck has to be th two or three stories uh, tall, um, so it's going to be a wall with a deck, a platform over it. And in some spots, the feasibility study says in the middle could be 10 stories high. So you're going to have a platform that's 10 stories high. And then the feasibility study also says um, residential buildings 64 stories high on top of a five-story platform, or like a pedestal, basically. Um, so it's like, you know. So the kids playing Little League nearby, though, they won't have to worry about getting the sun That's in their true. eye, you know, <laughs> when there's a fly no sunburn, ball coming no, Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no sunburn for Sunnyside. Yep. That's a good thing. Uh, yeah. uh, who's paying for this thing? What, who, who's, who's expected to pick up the town? We are. Yeah. <laughs> Taxpayers, <laughs> yes. Um, we would pay for the whole thing, and then we would uh, sell it off, sell off the rights to, I don't know exactly how the, it's, of course, going to be, but we would it's so big that one developer is not going to be able to do it. So it would be multiple developers. And this project is going to be so far out into the future. Um, there are plans for like a 10-year build-out, 20-year build-out, 50-year build-out that um, we we have no idea. To, to actually have a architect planning this is kind of pretty ludicrous because we really don't know what like whatever he's planning, green things and all that. Who knows what's going to happen? Mm. Yeah, Maybe they're banking that the people that are opposing this right now won't be alive by the time pro, pro, it's... I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it, yes. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't yep. doubt it. And um, what do we get in return exactly? What, what's the... We're putting up this big investment in the, this infrastructure. Yeah. Well, um, de Blasio wants to use it for affordable housing, um, mm. up to 24,000 units, he says. But as we know... You know, that is not affordable. The housing, um, the AMIs are based on, you know. So de Blasio is claiming this, will, this is going to create 24? Um, up to, yes, yes. There are different plans for this. Um, you know, they don't really they don't really know exactly <coughs> what it's going to be. It could be like a live, work, play, maybe um, some sort of campus, or it could just be all residential or more commercial. So they, they really... At the meetings, they really don't answer our questions. We we go and we ask them a lot. Like, so what is this going to be? How much affordable housing? What rates? You know, what percentage? Like, is it thirty percent AMI, fifty percent AMI? And they and can't a tell AMI you. for listeners yeah. that are unfamiliar with that phrase. That's the area median yes. income, yes. and that includes like Westchester, Putnam County, some of the wealthier areas, yes. enclaves around the city, Wall Street, yeah, anywhere, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yes, definitely. Um, so when they're what they're calling affordable, hey, that's so a relative term, right? Exactly. And mm. a lot of times it is above market rate, even though it's supposed to be. Like you just look online, look on um, some of those websites for housing, yeah. <laughs> wow.
Yep. Um, so the EDC says it's you know it's conducted this feasibility study, but right now, um, you know, I understand that's basically an outline that uh, they're allegedly are claiming that they're reaching out to the community for input. Yes. Um, and I, you've, you mentioned you've been to some of these meetings. Yes. Um, what's the feed been, been like? Um, and how's this process playing out? Yeah, well, I mean, they do, they do, you know, speak to us and they have workshops and everything. Um, the concern is they seems like they aren't trying They use like one master list. Basically, it's like, if you went to the first meeting, you're going to get an email for the second meeting and the third meeting and subsequent meetings. But if you never knew about it at all, you'll never know to go to those meetings. And if you're not in the know, you know, you wouldn't know to go. Um, we did some outreach in the neighborhood, talking to people right there where the train, where it would be, the deck, and they have no idea it's happening. And mm-hmm. then also small business owners, they just don't know. So, and there are, you know, we're big immigrant population. English is not the first language. And so there's no outreach other than Spanish that I can see that hmm. they've done. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, well, you're getting the word out. And how can folks get involved in the planning process or in, in your efforts to halt this thing to, with uh, Stop Sunnyside? Yeah, notes? yeah. Um, well, yeah, just get involved. Um, you know, read about it. Um, you can go to our website, stopsunnysideyards.com. Um, we post articles and we like to do um, events. We've done like a... a um, walk around the yards, a historical look at it. Um, we've had some meetings. So, and just basically letting your local congressperson know how you feel about it. That's like the most, um, the best thing you can probably do. But so, stopsunnysideyards.com. Folks yes, can go yes. there for more info yes, and how to plug, exactly. and plug in. Nice. And one more thing this thing's next to a super fun site. It is on a super fun site. <laughs> Only it, it New is. York folks. Yes, exactly. Uh, it is on a Superfund site, yes. Um, and the remedy for the Superfund site, um, they have done some cleanup, but still part of the remedy is to make it into just industrial use. Mm. And so I'm wondering how that's going to happen. I'm sure they can get around it some way. But, you know, living under there, you know, wouldn't be so great, I don't think. <laughs> or above it, actually. Great. Well, thank you, yeah. Emily. I, I really thank appreciate you, so you coming in. Appreciate uh, it. And letting folks know about this. Thank you. I'll take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. And welcome back. You are listening to the Evening News on WBAI 99.5. And I want to remind listeners, this is uh, we're in the middle of a pledge drive here. So uh, if you are getting something you can use, uh, some way to plug in, something that you maybe didn't know about that's impacting your city, and uh, you want us to keep making a difference here at this station, uh, you can call 516-620-3602. Or pledge online at give2wbai.org. And there's another way you can give, too. Just text WBAI to 41444. That's 41444. Um, And we are back here. 
uh, and I am Peter Rue, and I am joined for our next segment, talking with uh, the Indies film critic, Mark Reed. Welcome back, um, and welcome to the program, Mark. Thanks, Peter. Excellent. So I understand you've recently returned from the Tribeca Film Festival, um, and like to talk about some of the gems you caught there, and maybe a stinker or two, huh? <laughs> sure. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the festival. First off, it was started by Robert De Niro and others following the 9-11 terrorist attacks as a way for the filmmaking community to put forward a vision of America that maybe went against some of that George Bush, uh, you know, shop your grief away kind of mentality at the time. Um, so how has this festival evolved? Um, well, yeah, it started by Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese, and a bunch of other kind of New York film community, uh, you know, celebrities got, you know, kind of had this idea for the Tribeca Film Festival. Actually, before, I think the idea, I'm pretty sure the idea for it came before 9-11, but then mm. it rapidly, you know, after the attacks of September 11th, Michael Bloomberg was mayor and the, he kind of came on board from the beginning and his philanthropy funded, uh, the. he still is a major, major funder for the Tribeca Film Festival and it was, you know, uh, there was always, there always has been, I believe, a kind of... Um, critical edge to the festival you know it's a, it's uh, it's a, both a creature of hollywood and of the kind of independent film world and films that have a like a social commentary or films that have a kind of a, you know an ethos of social criticism are, are uh, have always been a part of that um, that festival um i think it's probably safe to say it's become more and more of an industry event i mean it was mm. always an insider event i mean bobby de niro and, and yep. Martin scorsese are large figures in the in the film world um, so it's a you know it's a part of the culture industry at large, but it's 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 even more so now. It's virtual reality, augmented reality, TV, mm. um, film, and it's just kind of a, a smorgasbord of, of entertainment. Mm. Uh, well, let's get to some of the films. There's one documentary I know that struck you as particularly interesting, and you wrote a review of it for the latest print edition of the Independent. It's called American Factory, and it's directed by Stephen Bogner and Julia Reichardt. And it concerns a factory in Dayton, Ohio, and it takes place where the pair's previous film left off. Um, let's listen to a little preview clip of that previous film and take it from there. It's called The Last Truck, the closing of a GM plant, and features the voices of workers whose jobs are being outsourced. Um, could you uh, let's roll clip one there? I'm a factory worker. I'm proud of it. I thought I was going to retire from GM, and it didn't work out that way. We went to a meeting and seen on TV that they were shutting the plant down. I had this vision of this big, gentle dragon taking its last breath. I couldn't believe the reaction of the people. They're so proud of our work. I know how much went into building that high-quality vehicle. It's the family. It's the people. It's your friends. And I love them all. We spend thousands and thousands of dollars fighting wars in other countries. Let's take care of our own people here. I can't believe this is going to be the last truck. And that's it. Job is over. Okay, so that's where American Factory picks up. Uh, mm -hmm. Mark, you want to fill us in? What happens next? Yeah, it's kind of an amazing story. So, you know, the, the kind of collapse of the industrial economy of the United States is exemplified in this film, The Last Truck. Um, it's, it's this GM plant that closes in after the 2008 financial crisis. They lose, you know, 3,000 jobs, I think around 3,000, maybe a little bit more. Um, and Dayton, Ohio is the second largest industrial center in the states um, for the uh, second to Detroit had been historically. So it's a big industrial center. 
Um, and so you have this Rust Belt tragedy uh, that is the last truck, which we just heard from. And then uh, American Factory picks up in 2014. Um, and these filmmakers have been making films about labor and a kind of about about this milieu for for their entire career. So mm. they're very well they were very well positioned to do this. Um, in 2014, a Chinese-owned company, um, Fuyao Glass, uh, proposed to reopen the, the closed GM plant uh, as an automobile glass factory. Um, Fiao controls 70% of the market of auto glass globally. Mm. So they're a huge multinational corporation, uh, Chinese-owned. And so, so this interaction uh, ensues between this global multinational Chinese corporation and their workforce and their executives and the American workers. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's a culture clash, <laughs> you might say. And it's it's also it's this reversal, right? So like American companies have been going into China and open up factories for a long time since mm-hmm. like the really the 90s particularly accelerated. So this is a kind of reversal of that. Um, and the resentment of American workers, they have these Chinese kind of overlords, overlords, these bosses, and also a, a cohort of about 200 Chinese workers who are non-English speaking who come to supervise and train the U.S. workers. Mm. Um, and it's explicitly not a union. And so they got all kinds of tax incentives from the local and state governments to do this. Um, they're non-union jobs. Uh, the, the, uh, the Chinese owners... Uh, brutally, I mean, in nefariously kind of suppress a union organization movement that happens there. Uh, and they're aided and abetted by the Chinese workers who vote against the union. Um, and so the union vote fails. These jobs are all about half the rate of pay of so, the GM. It's budget. an interesting stage of globalization, it yeah. seems, where we're now importing a labor model that we fought really hard in this country to get rid of. Yeah, it's really, you know, 70 years of, there's this one scene in the film, this uh, union organizer is up there's, you know, and he's basically saying, like, you know, we, we fought these battles 70 years ago mm. um, for really a path to dignity for, for workers, for labor. Yep. Um, and, you know, the sort of and through the unionization effort here and in, in Europe, the kind of desperation that workers often feel, you know, is mitigated so that they can struggle for a better life. Right. And and the Chinese want to kind of reimpose a pre-union reality, um, which is what they're operating in in, Ch- in mainland China, mm. and they would bring that over here. Um, so that it really says a lot about the position of labor globally um, when you know capital is mobile and labor is stuck, and the in the sort of asymmetry of power there, um, and what can workers do in the face of that, and automation, which is really the specter that haunts this whole thing. And, mm. At the end of the film, well, we're uh, running out of time here. I don't, I'm not sure if we'll have uh, time to play clip two, but there was another film that sort <laughs> of uh, we wanted to contrast yeah. American Factory with. Do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about that? Real yeah, quick? Day in the Life of America, like you know Jared Leto, superstar with his like cool rock band 30 seconds to mars um has this an idea and it's just feels like they were getting high on the road or something it's like i know what we can do dude we can like get 92 film crews and 50 states and all on the fourth of july and make this portrait of america and it's kind of a beautiful sounding idea but it's this one of the most it's just just shallow kind of spectacle that you would expect out of hollywood which was kind of has no you know, none of the kind of like investigation and interrogation of American factory. Um, mm. So they're both films a- about America and they're just like so fundamentally different. One coming from the Hollywood machine and one coming from kind of the independent film world and the world of documentary film. And this one is coming from get. Dayton, Ohio. No yeah, yeah. Coming yeah. from Dayton, yeah. Ohio. Yeah. Right. Uh, anything else to stand out t- uh, to you from this festival? 
Burning Cane. I didn't get a chance to review it, but I want to make a plug for it. It's a 19-year-old filmmaker from Tisch, uh, NYU, uh, young African-American filmmaker who made a film about uh, rural Louisiana uh, poor uh, African-Americans. There's not a single uh, white actor in the film. and It's a devastating um, kind of remorseless look at just poverty in uh, in rural Louisiana and it's hard to watch um and but it's a really powerful film and I think you know it's interesting like he's coming to, just at the time that John Singleton is dying like this new young mm. filmmaker black filmmaker is coming into getting a lot of attention one more time what's the name of it Burning Cane okay folks keep an ear out for Burning Cane that just about does it for tonight's program uh you've been listening to the evening news on WBAA AI 99.5 hosted by The Independent, New York's free, reader-supported newspaper. Tune in next Monday, 6 p.m., for the evening news from the Indy. Thanks for listening, folks. I 88-year-old Ruth from New Jersey has been an environmental activist for the past 50 years. And here we are. I'm so glad that we finally came to the point where we're seriously talking about climate change. Ruth wants to talk about the honor system. When I lived in Maine for a little while, I used to go to a, a mailbox and pick out a dozen eggs and put a dollar in the mailbox. The honor system. BAI operates on the honor system. And anyone who's listening who hasn't donated to WBAI, stop, stop taking something for nothing. It's not for nothing. The VAI is not for nothing. It costs a lot of money to run the station. So start donating. Thanks, Ruth. 516-620-3602 to become a member of WBAI for $25 or more or become a WBAI buddy for $10 or more a month. 516-620-3602. You're tuned to listener-sponsored WBAI New York.